Welcome to the Alatea Foundation's latest podcast of the current series where we seek to address the urgent energy topics of today by hearing the opinions and insights from our invited experts. The Alatea Foundation is an independent think tank aiming to provide robust and practical knowledge and insights on global energy and sustainable development topics and to communicate these for the benefit of the Foundation's members and community. LNG has experienced a dramatic year. At the start of 2020, the LNG market was experiencing oversupply and relative stable demand. Then COVID-19 hit, first in the Asian markets and then worldwide. As industry shut down, the LNG market was hit not just by oversupply, but simultaneously by demand destruction as well. What exactly happened in the early part of 2020 and what can we expect looking forward? That's the subject of this podcast. Today, I'm delighted to welcome our podcast guest, Luke Cottle, to share some perspectives on the latest developments in the global gas markets. Luke is an analyst with S&P Global Platts Analytics, specialising on the European, Middle Eastern and African gas and LNG markets. He's responsible for developing country-level models across the region and, and presenting S&P Global Platts Analytics forward-looking gas forecast through a variety of mediums. Before joining Platts, Luke was a cross-commodity analyst within the global markets research team at Natixis. He holds a master's degree in geology from Imperial College London, receiving first-class honours. Good afternoon, Luke, and welcome once again to another Alatia Foundation activity. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, and I'm excited to have the opportunity um, to again discuss uh, the outlook for the global gas markets at a particularly interesting time um, following the coronavirus pandemic and its substantial impacts. Absolutely. Let's kick things off then. Start by looking back at the global LNG market during this year. It seems that there were two really main themes, at least for the first half of 2020. First, there was the demand destruction that I mentioned caused by the virus, of course, and uh, shutdowns of industry as a result of COVID-19. And then there was the convergence, if you like, of global gas prices. Do you agree with that? And what were the consequences, do you think, of that convergence of prices? Yes, definitely. I think you've really touched upon two of the key developments we saw last year uh, and, and in the year to date, and that is this convergence of global gas prices. And in some degree, that has been brought on by the other point you discussed, the demand destruction related to the coronavirus pandemic. But I think when we look at the state of the global gas market today, it's important to take a step back and also talk what's happened in the last 18 months or so and not just talk about 2020. Because even before the coronavirus pandemic started hitting the global economy and the gas markets at the start of 2020, the global gas markets were already in a state of very much oversupply. We'd seen two warmer than normal winters in a row. Um, and we'd also seen a significant build out of global liquefaction capacity over the past 18, 24 months from the US, from Australia and from Russia. And this meant in 2019, we saw a period of significantly weakening prices. If we look at where JKM, that's the delivered price of LNG into Asia, was at the end of 2018, it was around $8. Um, by the end of 2019, we are already at $5. So even before the coronavirus came about, the global gas market was in a state of oversupply. Then what the coronavirus pandemic has done is serve to just exaggerate this oversupply. And within that, we've seen some really interesting dynamics. And one of those is 
what you touched upon, this convergence of global gas prices. By that, we mean JKM, the marker for Asian gas prices, Henry Hub, the main marker for gas prices in the US, and TTF, the European major gas hub, all converged in April 2020, and we saw all three drop to record low levels. We were in a sub $2 global gas price environment. That was historic lows across all the free markers. Now, what was the reason for this? Well, the reason for this was the coronavirus pandemic, as I say, exaggerated the state of oversupply. And whereas last year, the market was able to balance on European underground storage and demand creation through low prices, which pushes gas, for example, out of the power stack, that demand side response wasn't available in 2020. And instead, we went to the harsher reality of marginal cost economics, where prices dropped to a level which would see supply respond in an attempt to balance. And you touched on demand there. Oversupply may have been an issue before COVID-19, but what do you think we can expect on the demand front for the remainder of 2020? I mean, a month ago, we might have said that demand will slowly rise as we recover from the pandemic. Lots of people were expecting a sort of bounce back, if you like, across the entire global economy. Perhaps were people not so sure now as we see the potential for further wave second spikes across the world and the, indeed a lingering economic slowdown. Is the recovery going to be more patchy, do you think, more targeted, more regional now for the global LNG markets? So I think we are definitely seeing a mixed picture already. I think um, when we looked at the height of the coronavirus pandemic, and that was in April time, say, in Europe, we were talking about two major segments which were seeing substantial demand losses. They were the industrial segment and they were the power segment. And both of those, it is clear, if you go into widespread lockdowns, you shut down industry, you slow societal um, societal normals, um, and as a result, top line power demand is also squeezed, and gas as a flexible fuel is one of the uh, fuel generation mix, which uh, kind of loses out as a result of a reduction in top line power demand. Now, if we look where we are today, European uh, demand for gas has pretty much normalized on a year on year basis. Industrial demand is back where we would have expected it to be without the coronavirus pandemic. And in the power sector, we are also seeing somewhat of a recovery in top line power demand. And also gas is getting a bit of a boost in Europe thanks to lower nuclear generation in France and also very competitive gas prices, which incentivize you to use gas in place of gold. But as we see, this isn't true everywhere. We also look in Asia and the situation in Asia is a lot more worrisome when we talk about demand right now. Asia is typically this growth engine for the global gas market and for the LNG market in particular. If we look at Asian LNG imports right now, they're trending lower on a year on year basis and have been now for a couple of months. And that is certainly one of the worrisome signs as we go into winter. Now, I think it is a time of a lot of uncertainty and all forecasts come with a great deal of risk right now and and that applies to all commodity markets and gas is no exception but there is also some trends we see i think in europe specifically we have seen a trend away from these countrywide lockdowns to more towards more localized lockdowns and that is certainly has less of an impact on gas demand and then we look at Asia, and Asia also is starting to see some economic recovery. We're seeing some signs of top line power demand recovering. And certainly as we move into winter, those core winter months, we should see a substantial amount of support for gas demand from cooler temperatures. And there's big uncertainties around 
around how societal changes are going to affect winter gas demand. One of the things we are thinking a lot about at S&P Global Platts Analytics is do you get a double effect on uh, winter, winter heating demand because you have offices reopening but only at partial capacity and at the same time, you also have a substantial volume of your workforce working from home. Does that mean we have to heat both the homes and offices through winter? If so, you can start to think of ways that coronavirus and its impact on society is not just bearish, but it can also lead to some bullish implications for gas demand. So lots of uncertainties over the coming months, um, but we're certainly seeing signs of a recovery and more localised lockdowns should prevent the scale of disruption we saw in April Q2. That's an interesting point about the the winter traditionally is a time when a lot of the global glass players will have their eyes on rising demand. Uh, is that the case this year, particularly because supply was curtailed this summer in response to those record low prices? As we head into the winter period, traditionally a colder time of the year in many parts of the world, are we? do you expect demand to pick up seasonally and to what sort of extent do you think supply will return then, if that's the case? Yeah, definitely. I think, as I say, we're seeing somewhat of a mixed demand picture right now. But we have to remember that winter does come and winter is a period where we see net withdrawals from European storages, from storages globally, as we need to meet this stronger seasonal demand. And that's going to be the case again in 2020. And what we need to think is that we've had two warmer than normal winters in a row. And it's easy to forget that as a result, our baseline for our year on year comparison is relatively low. Just by getting normal winter temperatures and not warmer than normal winter temperatures, we should see stronger demand across the Northern Hemisphere relative to last winter. Now on the supply side, what we can already see is that these strong supply side curtailments, which we've seen for the best part of three to four months now in response to these record low prices in Q2, that has finally led to a price response. We've seen prices bottom out and we're actually now seeing somewhat of a rally in global gas prices. JKM this month alone has gone from around 270 at the start of the month to $3.80 uh, today. That's an almost 50% gain in the period of just two weeks. And what we're going to see is as prices continue to recover into the core winter months, we will see supply incentivized to come back into the market. And that is supply from the likes of Malaysia, Australia, these spot exposed suppliers who have turned down in response to uh, in response to record low prices. And it is, of course, the US, which has been the major balancer for the global gas market in the year to date. Now, the final thing I want to add on the US is that there is somewhat of a delayed response in the US supply responding to improved market prices. And the reason for that is if we think about the nomination window, US offtakers have to give um, facility operators, it's around 45 to 60 days. So if we think about what US loaders are thinking about today, they're thinking about what are my netbacks in October? And as a result, even though over the last two, three weeks, we've seen an improvement in prices, we are likely not going to see a significant ramp back up of US supply until the September, October period. And just on the prices, I mean, it must be amid all this global uncertainty, doing the sorts of things that you're doing must be a lot harder. Let's look forward to 2021. Then you mentioned the prices may be starting to recover. Uh, do you expect the market to tighten further in 2021 and prices to keep going up? Yeah, so I think 2021 presents another very interesting picture. And 
Um, it's again two opposing forces. I think we've talked about this demand recovery, which we're starting to see, um, and that's going to continue into 2021. I think we look at the macroeconomic forecast that most major agencies um, are calling for a recovery in 2021 GDP. Certainly the pace of that recovery um, is uncertain, but we should see an improvement next year. And we are, of course, coming from this very low 2020 baseline. So demand is going to recover. And that in itself is, of course, a bullish fundamental that is going to tighten the gas market. Then if we think about the other supply, the other side of the picture, which is the supply side, well, it's actually two mixed pictures there. In terms of new supply capacity, we are seeing a real slowdown in new liquefaction projects coming online globally. This rapid build out of US LNG supply over the last two years or so, which has been one of the catalysts of this very weak gas price environment, is coming to an end. We're only seeing one new US train come online next year, that's Corpus Christi. So there's not that much new capacity come online, which seems like a bullish development. But the big problem is, as prices begin to rise and as we move into a more constructed global gas price environment, all of this supply, which has turned down in 2020, so from the likes of the US, from these Asia Pacific producers, um, that's going to come back into the market in 2021. So even though you don't build new capacity, you have supply which has been turned down this year returning to the market. And that's on the LNG supply. And it's also on the European pipeline side. And this is a big one that we need to remember is it's not just been LNG supply which has responded this year, but the likes of Russia, the likes of Norway have also substantially curtailed exports to Europe to help the global gas market balance. And all of that is going to come back as we move into a more constructive price environment into this free $4 uh, price range we expect next summer. Absolutely. And a lot of the suppliers have proved themselves very, very responsive, particularly the United States, one that you've uh, touched upon there. As we've seen in the global oil markets as well, U.S. producers very, very responsive to price. They seem to have taken on the role as uh, the principal swing supplier in the global LNG market as well recently. Would you agree with that or will the U.S. have to balance the market again in 2021, do you think? Yeah, it's it's the US, I think it's fair to say we have seen the US exhibit this largest supply side response in the global LNG market. Now, it's really important that we don't see the US as the only global LNG exporter to respond. There have certainly been other cases of countries with spot exposed supply and relatively high break evens, which have also turned down supply. Think of the likes of Egypt, who we haven't seen export. Well, we've seen them export one cargo all summer. Think of Malaysia, who had significant year-on-year -year reductions in supply in the second quarter. And most recently in Australia as well, we are also seeing year-on-year -year reductions in supply, at least some of which can be put down to this weak price environment. But the US is certainly the one who we have seen the biggest supply side response out of. Why is that? Well, that's because the US has the most flexibility built into its contracts. Most global LNG exporters are underpinned by long-term take-or-pay contracts, which mean you have to take a minimum volume of supply each year. So they have very little spot exposure. The US is unique in that you are allowed to turn down as much US supply as you want as long as you pay this fixed liquefaction penalty. So the US is unique in its nature that in theory, all of the US supply can be turned on or off. That's not true at other facilities because of the nature of contracts. Now, as we move to 2021, it presents a very interesting question. Will we continue to see the US balance the market? Um, and the big difference between 2020 and 2021 
is the domestic US market is in a very different place next year or is expected to be in a very different place next year. And the reasons for this are in 2020, the US market has been very oversupplied. As we move to 2021, what the oil price crash means and the incredibly weak Henry Hub price environment in 2020 means is that domestic gas production in the US is slowing considerably. If we look at the number of rigs currently active, the number of new wells being drilled, they all point to a substantial slowdown in US domestic production. And this means that we fundamentally are expecting a bullish Henry Hub environment in 2021. This summer, we've seen Henry Hub prices trend well below $2 through the majority of summer. We have seen a bit of a bullish rally recently, but through the first, through the second quarter, we were well below this $2 price environment. In 2021, through the summer months, we're expecting Henry Hub to be at around $3, so almost a dollar higher than where we've seen it this year. And this means that even if we are in a more constructive global gas price environment, where JKM and TTF are in this $3 to $4 range, we will still see somewhat of a convergence of global gas prices and subsequently the US may well be asked to balance the market again, albeit at a higher price level than what we saw in 2020. And really the key message is there is Henry Hub can set a higher floor for the global gas complex next year. Right. So we've mentioned 2020. We mentioned the outlook for 2021. I'm going to make it a little tougher for you now. I mean, looking into a crystal ball is uh, probably harder now than it ever has been, in, uh, particularly in recent decades. What do you think the longer term impact of COVID-19 is going to be on global LNG markets? Yes, yeah, certainly uh, a fascinating question to discuss right now and, and one which I think you can uh, take quite different outlooks on. Um, but I think, again, to go back to the supply and the demand picture, I think when we look at the supply side, the impact of the coronavirus pandemic is quite apparent in that globally we have seen a reduction in risk appetite from international oil companies. And as a result, we have seen CapEx budgets slashed and projects face delays. And this is seen when we look at the number of projects which have reached final investment decision in the year to date. We haven't seen any. There's been a complete slowdown. That compares to last year, 2019, we saw around 90 BCM of new liquefaction capacity reach final investment decisions. That was a record for a single year. So we've seen just how much can change in 12 months. Now, what the volume of liquefaction capacity which reached FID last year means is that we're still going to see strong growth to global LNG market in the middle of the, in the middle of the coming decade. So all this supply which was locked in last year, companies said, all right, we're going ahead with these projects. That's still going to hit the market in 2024, 2025. And as a result, uh, we can still see growth in the global LNG market going well forward. But perhaps the bigger question is what happens to all these projects which were looking to reach FID this year? And clearly it's a very different marketplace. And one of the big changes is it's very much a buyer's market now. And these projects, mainly out of the US, which was expected to be the growth engine for new LNG, when we talk about the amount of projects which were vying for FID, which had projects uh, permitted by um, the FERC, there was an amazing amount of US LNG supply which was looking to get over the line. All of, that has hit the, all of that has hit speed bumps. And the big problem for these projects is it's so hard to sign a long-term sales and purchase agreement in today's environment. If I'm an Asian buyer, my desire to sign up to a 20-year long-term contract in the face of all this uncertainty and in the face of seeing such competitive spot pricing has reduced substantially. Now, that is to the benefit of projects which are backed by international oil companies, which are backed by national oil companies who have a large balance sheet 
They can finance it with relatively low debt levels because this does not have to be underpinned by the sales and purchase agreements. And that is why we do expect projects to continue coming over the line, but they're more likely to be from the likes of Qatar, from the likes of Russia, and from the likes of the national oil companies, uh, international oil companies who are willing to keep LNG as part of their portfolio. So that's the supply side and where we see it going forward. And let's turn back to demand side as well. And the really key thing here is the coronavirus pandemic has changed the demand outlook. But when we actually look at the, the trends and, and the developments which we've seen over the last 12 months, it's broadly just put some momentum behind a number of existing trends. And one of the key ones which the market needs to continue to focus on, the global energy market needs to look at, is the focus should be on the Southeast Asian, the South Asian markets and China. The mature markets of Europe, of Japan, Korea, Taiwan, which have underpinned global gas markets and been the main source of demand for LNG um, over recent decades, they're not the growth markets anymore. They're seeing rapid energy transitions and not necessarily too conducive policy environments for LNG. But in South Asia, in Southeast Asia and China, there is a large potential market for LNG to fill an important gap. And this is both a gap which is being generated by uh, rising top line power demand as these countries continue to develop their economic pathways. But it is also one that is being driven by this coal to gas switching and the fact that gas remains a cleaner fuel. Now, it's really important that if this demand is to be realised, it's by no means certain. I talked about earlier how these long term sales and purchase agreements haven't been signed. This demand isn't guaranteed. So how can we guarantee this demand? Well, there's three things we really want to see in the global gas market. We want to see a supportive policy environment from these countries. That includes trying to see liberalisation of the gas markets. It's something we've seen start to take place in China. Um, this year, we've seen the creation of Pipe China, which is an independent pipeline operator going away from dominance by the free state-owned companies to free barrels and instead seeing increasing third-party access for regasification and midstream infrastructure in China is going to be bullish gas demand. The second thing we need to see is we need to see gas prices competitive against coal and to some extent this means these kind of traditional sellers being willing to say okay these days of 14-15% oil index slopes are behind us. And if we are to see long term future for gas compete against coal, push out coal in the generation mix in Asia, we need prices to be competitive. And the final thing we need to see is the build out of downstream infrastructure. And this is somewhere where, again, we might need to see private sector public partner partnerships. And we may need to see these international oil companies who have a growing volume of supply exposed to the spot market. If they want to guarantee that there's a downstream market, they may need to go and invest in downstream infrastructure themselves. So three key trends. We need to see competitive pricing. We need to see supportive policy and we need to see the build out of downstream infrastructure to ensure this opportunity for gas to play an important part in the energy transition in Asia is realised. Brilliant. It's a good note to leave it on. As you say, lots of uh, uncertainty around at the moment and plenty of short term challenges for sure as a result of COVID-19. But there certainly are some opportunities too in the market as well. I think we're unfortunately run, uh, running out of time. Thank you so much, Luke, for your insights and your time today. Uh, so as we can see, indeed, for all of us, we could expect uh, some interesting changes to come ahead in LNG markets as we move into the rest of this year and 2021 and beyond. As a non-profit independent organisation, the Foundation would also like to thank its members for their continued support, which is certainly valued and appreciated. 
Watch this space for the next podcast in this series. I'm Nawid Jabakil. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>